Welcome to Beauty is Eternal, in-depth interviews that inspire. I'm your host, Caitlin. Today's episode is called Viking Star Amy Bailey, a comprehensive conversation with the acrobatic actress. Eons before television or film existed, there were performers in every culture helping others to laugh, to escape reality for a moment, and just to feel something different. Playing pretend is an age-old art most people lose after childhood that these performers had not lost. Today we have with us a modern woman who has retained the ability to play pretend and who has affected the feelings and lives of millions of viewers who have seen her on the screen. Amy Bailey is an American and British actress known to me through her role as Queen Quinthrith on the History Channel's drama Vikings, which she played for three seasons. She was a ballerina and an acrobatic performer before she became a stage actress and subsequently moved to film and TV. Amy studied at the Houston Ballet before performing with the Joffrey Ballet in New York and the London Ballet Theatre in England as a professional ballerina. She has three children with her husband, Anthony Gordon. She performed around the world as an acrobat and an aerialist for years. She first transitioned from performer into actress in plays, where she has starred in The Producers and has been nominated for Best Actress in the Oft West End Awards twice. For her roles in Guys and Dolls and in Woody Allen's Play It Again, Sam. Amy has also been in Tim Burton's Alice in Wonderland, as well as the film adaptation of the musical Nine. In addition to starring on Vikings, she has played Clementine in Sci-Fi's Dominion and the Russian character Karina Volsky in Major Crimes. Plus, she plays Kayla in Blood and Trut, which is Sony's biggest VR game to date, which has an upcoming sequel. Amy splits her time between LA and London and participates in improv comedy in both cities. She trained at Groundlings Theatre and has worked as a writer on various upcoming projects, including the upcoming fashion drama DNA. In her spare time, she collaborates with fashion labels and starred in an award-winning short film for Italian Vogue as part of Mario Schwab's Chiara Scura collection. Amy is going to talk to us about her evolution from dancer to actress and to mother and everything in between. Be sure to follow her on Instagram where her username is officialamybailey. Some topics we cover today during the interview include how she met her husband, how she gave birth to twins naturally at home, why she left Vikings, what Queen Quinthrith taught her, why sex scenes are not really that sexy, what she thinks of method acting, and why she learned the hard way not to use it. Plus, lots of Vikings gossip, including 
why there was a sex scene between her and Ragnar that got cut. Between King Ragnar, King Eckbert, and King Aethelwolf, who would she kill, who would she marry, and who would she sleep with? Let's find out the answer. Well, I'm really excited to meet you. It's actually really surreal to meet you because I had told you I'm a, I'm a longtime Vikings fan. So it's like, oh, cool. yeah, that's super cool. I'm so, um, thank you so much for watching the show. It's, it's a good show. I mean, I like it too. I knew about the show like a year before I auditioned for it because I was friends with the original, very original director, kind of creator director. Johan Rank and he was a friend of mine we'd worked together before Vikings like came into being and we went for dinner one time and he had this big notebook and he's like I have you know this project I don't know if I want to do it and we were just like and it was Vikings and I was looking through this book going like yeah man this is cool like nobody's doing Vikings do Vikings you know at that time it was like vampires were cool I don't know whatever no one was doing Vikings and this was back in 2012 I think 2011 years ago and then he went and did it and then I watched the first season and I was like oh this is a great show and then this character came up and my agent called me and she's like you know so I was like yeah cool so I, I was a fan of the show before I got on it too <laughs> <laughs> well you had a really interesting role to play you had a lot of um unique yes. scenes as Queen Quinthrith and you even I got to do some of your dancing in it yes that's true you know, I didn't know much about the character when I auditioned for it. And even Michael, who wrote it, he sort of was creating it as it was going. And then when he cast me, I think he created some stuff along the way, because she's sort of a fictional character, pretty much based on someone. But I kind of knew something was up, because when you audition, you only get, I got two scenes. And sometimes they send you fake scenes as well, because things are copyrighted. So I got the role and I showed up in Ireland and um, a lot of the cast members, when they came to meet me, they were like, oh, you're the one playing Quentin because they had all seen the, the full episode. They had all read it. They're like, oh, I know were, what you're into. <laughs> yeah, they were all like coming into the makeup room going like, oh, hey, wow, okay. And I was going, what? Like, what is going on? And then from there on out, every time we got a new episode, I was going, oh man. And I would look through the script going, ah, oh, what's she gonna have to do? What's she gonna have to do? <laughs> and there was one time, it was, well, season three, I think, and I was in the big cafeteria at the film studios and the director came in and he, and he said something about, oh, you know, he was laughing. He was like, I knew when you have to pee on Travis. And I was like, ha ha ha, yeah. Like, no, you, you have to. And I was, and I went, are you serious? He said, yeah, you're, you're going to pee on Travis for this episode. You've got to be kidding me, man. Come on, <laughs> you guys. And I, yeah. Well, you sure peed enough. on him and then you had sex with him, so. Yeah, do you know, and, and there was a sex scene, but we, Travis and I uh, kind of talked them into cutting that out because we thought it'd be more interesting if pe because people still don't know if Magnus is his or not, I know the answer, but it's like, is he or isn't he, which was kind of an interesting thing. And so um, originally we had all these sex scenes and then we're like, you know, maybe let's get, let's make it more mysterious and it'll be a more interesting relationship because I don't think, mm -hmm. even though the characters 
bonded over maybe power or circumstance. They weren't in love, you know, they weren't like a romantic couple. So that's that true. Fun with us. Cause nobody wants to do mm -hmm. sex scenes. I think that's fun. I think my boyfriend was sad there was no sex scene. <laughs> no. Yeah, well, I had to do, I had to do plenty of other stuff, so. Yeah, yeah, you. <laughs> Anytime they're going to cut a sex scene, I'm like, oh, thank God. <laughs> it's, it's never, it's always just, you know, it's like awkward. It's not gross or anything, but it's just always, like, no actor wants to do it. It's yeah. embarrassing. Yeah, oh yeah, there's. Travis is a pretty hot guy. Like there are worse things, but I mean, you know, but, but he's, but it's, you know, Travis, I know, like I get a lot of messages from women who are like, please introduce me to Travis. And, but you know, when someone's your friend, you know, we're all friends on set and it's not sexy, like not at all. Well, he's not <laughs> a Ragnar also, you know, he's, he's no, he's not Ragnar at all. Yeah. <laughs> he's very, very different. I love him. Don't get me wrong. He's he's great, but you know, it's yeah, it what it's not sexy times. I, I understand. It's very different because he's your friend. You're married. It's like, you know, you have a friendship and then it's just awkward. It's not like you have like 50 crew members standing right here. You know, you can't see it off camera, but everybody's staring at you. And also you're, you know, it's like it's cut and then action and then move positions and lighting and then makeup and it it's not you know it's not like it's like a mood or anything <laughs> i remember the first actually one of the i think the very first scene i shot on vikings was with linus who plays king Eckbert. i adore linus he's amazing he's a great um, actor oh great he's yeah one, one of the favorite people i've ever worked with in my career brilliant love working with him he was my favorite character too in the whole show mm -hmm. I met him, I got on set. We had to go down and you mark your scenes before you shoot them in costume and stuff just so you kind of get the angles and positions and stuff. So I went down there. Hey, I'm Linus, hi, I'm Amy, shake hands, and now climb on top of him. So we're, you know, marking out this sex scene. And then on the day, they wanted us to look really sweaty. So they covered us in glycerin, which is really sticky. Can, do you know what glycerin is? Like, it's like this thick, sticky, all over your, and so it's horrible. And so, you know, that's not sexy at all. I'm on someone's hair in your mouth and your microphone and your, you know, so. But sex scenes are pretty awful. <laughs> How is it for Anthony, for your husband, when you do a sex scene? I mean, I think he, because he was, you know, he used to be a dancer as well. He's an artist. He's had to do love scenes um, on stage. And he also, he knows what it's really like. And then he also knows all the cast members as well. So they're his friends too. So he's, he's not, he, I mean, he feels sorry for me if I have to do it, but I don't think he doesn't bother him. But, you know, I always make a point if I have to, do like play love interest or do a sex scene or something with with someone and they have they have a partner i always make sure to befriend that like introduce myself be really open just be like hey i am zero threat yeah, yeah. <laughs> i would be zero threat anyway but do you know what i mean just to kind of be like hey this is me and um 
sorry, I have to, you know, make out with your husband. I, I promise I'm not going to like it. He's not going to like it either. So you don't have to worry. I just think it's courtesy, you know? I, I think it's like if you have a male friend and he gets a new girlfriend, you try and be really nice to her so she knows yes. oh, she's not a threat. Like you go out of your way to reassure her. It's it's a it's like an alpha thing. Like I go up and I beta myself. I'm like, you know, you're the one. I'm just the actress who has to do the scene, but you know, you're the queen. I humbly, <laughs> you know, step back because because you don't want you don't want anyone to feel threatened. No. That's kind of that's a smart fun. strategy. Yeah, yeah, and it's you know, it's honest. I've had people do it to me too, and I appreciate it. Before I ask you more about your past. I want to tell you my theory about Ragnar and Magnus. Magnus is his son, and he's pretending he's not his son to protect him. You don't have to say what you think, but yeah. <laughs> well, you may be right there. Oh, very good. Interesting. Yeah. <laughs> Amy, long before, not long before, but before you were an actress, you were actually a professional ballerina. How yes. did you become a ballerina? I started really young. I grew up in Texas and everybody dances, you know, everybody goes to ballet school. And I was just lucky that I had supportive parents and I was pretty good at it. And so I moved to New York when I was 16. And then I moved to London when I was 18. And just kind of, it was all I knew really. And um, it wasn't until, well, I met Anthony in a ballet company. And then the thing about ballet is your your career doesn't last very long. So, you know, after you hit a certain age and you start getting what they call character roles, yeah. which, which is a gentle way of saying like, mm, you're getting a little bit old <laughs> to move on. But, um, and also just the injury rate is, is so high. So I had been a dancer for many, many, many years and sort of voluntarily decided to move out of it before I got to that point where I just, my body hurt too much. And, you know, being an old ballerina is, is hard work. It's no fun. I have friends who've gone back after having kids. I don't know how they do it. So hard. Also having to maintain a certain body weight after having kids. Yeah, it's the, it's the strength, really. It's the core strength because, you know, you have, I used to, and dancers do have such incredible strong cores and man after having kids it's you know it turns you inside out it's really it's hard to feel like oh I can't do anything <laughs> and so to get that back is really really tough so then after dancing you moved into acrobatics yes yeah that was a different it, that was, well yeah it was it was kind of a weird thing what happened is um Anthony and I were we were married already and we were in London and um, there it was after September 11th and things just got really weird with funding for the arts and everything in London. We were with a ballet company and everybody just kind of shut down for a bit, not as bad as this, but like the funding went with the arts and so people weren't traveling as much and we just kind of didn't know what to do with ourselves. And we happened to meet up with an old friend who was, training who had trained with a coach with Cirque du Soleil and they were looking for couples to do this the acrobalancing they call it and so we just saw well okay we're a couple and we ain't got nothing to do so we went to Miami we flew to Miami from London yeah Miami Fort Lauderdale 
and we trained with um, some coaches there. And then we ended up touring and then we took our act and we actually went on a cruise ship, which was the best. So we were an acrobalance act on cruise ships for a while. Wow. It was a crazy life. It was amazing. It, we went around the world twice. You keep all the money that you earn because you, everything's paid for. It was awesome, but it was a strange time in our lives. <laughs> but good. How did you and Anthony actually meet? You said in ballet? Yeah, in a ballet company. Yeah, I actually, when you first kind of join, sometimes they have separate classes. Like it was because it was a ballet school that I came when I was 18. And they had separated the boys and girls into different classes. And I just, you know, we went and totally scoped out the boys. I remember there was a door with a round window and we were all, and because I'm tall for a dancer. And so I was like, who's the tallest in this? I'm getting him. He's mine. You know, you kind of peg your partner because when I'm six foot, t- foot tall, I'm point. So I was like, I need a tall dude. So I saw him and I was like, I want that one. And then. He never had a chance. You got, you saw what you wanted. No, 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 Stamped him. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's sweet. We were, we were dance partners for about two years and best friends. And then um, we actually there was a dancer called Adam Cooper at the Royal Ballet and he came and he, Corey, he picked us to do this special piece and it was a lot of drama and a lot of like love and smushy gushy stuff. And we danced that for a summer and then we got married after that. because it was like, <laughs> I never knew. There was a song at the time from On Vogue. Do you remember that? More than friends. Yeah. And I mean, I remember listening to those lyrics and being like, oh my God. It's me and Anthony. What? We're more than friends. <laughs> We're lovers. We didn't even know it. <laughs> really dramatic. <laughs> Do you think that did you guys have feelings for one another that you hadn't expressed before that point? Or yeah. Yeah, it was one of those dumb things where we figured it out so far after everybody else knew. <laughs> we ended up getting married and we kind of eloped like we went to um what they call it justice of the peace in america what do they call it here where you just go like get your marriage license kind of like eloping okay and and we just like oh my gosh everyone's gonna be so surprised it's gonna be the shock of the century and nobody was surprised everybody was like finally my god get a room you two (laughs) and i look back now on pictures before we were married and we were just friends, we are all over each other. We're holding hands. We kissed all the time, but just like as friends, you know, I'm dumb, dumb kids. We were, we were in love and we didn't know it. <laughs> it sounds like a movie script, actually. <laughs> like the last ones to know, you know, the audience knows, the characters know, and then finally you figure the title out. of it, the last ones to know. If cinema survives COVID, maybe we can make a movie called The Last Ones to Know. That's true. That's true. (laughs) What's that movie? It's like um, Save the Last Dance or something. It's reminding me of those movies about dancing. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Summer cheeseball movies. So you guys have been together for about 20 years now or known each other. Yeah. 
Wow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We because we were dance partners for a while first. Yeah, we've known each other for a long time. We still like each other. Fancy that. <laughs> Pretty good. No, we do. We often are like, wow, I can't believe I still like you. <laughs> Especially after quarantine. Holy moly. And three kids. And three kids. Yeah, <laughs> I don't know. I don't know how it's happening, but we are. We're doing okay. So you were traveling the world on cruise ships for two years as like an acrobatic pair. Why did yes. you stop doing that? I actually injured my ankle really badly. Was it my ankle? I had two. No, it was my back. Dancer injuries. I have so many. I injured my back really badly doing like a back contortion thing. And so that's how I ended up moving into, um, well, quitting dancing. And first I moved into nutritional medicine. I thought that I wanted to be a clinician because I thought I couldn't dance anymore. And I went and got my degree. And then I had a total life crisis, really and truly on the street one day and cried and went, what am I doing? I'm an artist. Oh. And I can't be in a clinic. I need to be on the stage. And then had a breakdown and then came back to London and um, got back into theater. And then that's how I started acting. So you first thought, okay, my career is a dancer. I have too many injuries. It's time for me to try something else. And then something inside of you was like, no, I'm meant to be an artist and resisted. And then you moved to stage. Yeah. It was hard because I really loved the nutrition work, but after I worked, I did clinical work for almost a year and I loved it, but I, yeah, I just kind of was going like, this isn't my life path. It was so stereotypical. I'm missing the word, but I cried in the street and I actually said, I belong on the stage. It was really <laughs> embarrassing. I'm glad that nobody, well, everybody knows it now. Great. That's great. <laughs> But uh, no, I just, I knew, I knew I wanted to, to be on the stage, but I didn't want to be a ballet dancer anymore. Mm -hmm. So um, I came back and I tried musical theater and that was great for a while. I loved that. It was really fun. Well, acting, like dancing, acting is also a competitive field. It's also a, it's an art, but it's also a performing field. Because your training was in dance, did that give you some advantages or some skills that you were able to use after that in acting? Oh yeah, for sure. I think just, I mean, tough, like I'm a tough girl. I'm a tough person. You know, I, I, I'm happy to keep going and go for the shot. You know, I'm not one to complain about cold or long hours or being uncomfortable or anything like that. Cause you know, once you've been a ballet dancer, there's a lot of physical pain in that career. So you get pretty used to to being tough. I, you know, I, I'm good on set in that way. And then um, with continuity, just remembering all the things you need to do and hitting your marks and stuff. So there was a, there's a lot of times that I feel my dance training has helped make it easier for me on set, just because that's already kind of built in there and taking direction. You know, I love it. I, you know what it is? Uh, it's when you're a ballet dancer, there's so little room for ego because you're working so hard on yourself all the time and you sort of police yourself and it's a very self-disciplined art form, ballet is. And it is known that you will never be good enough, ever. 
talk to any ballet dancer and they will always be like, I have so much more work to do. Perfection is, you know, forever far away, which is, which is a good thing. Conversely, not all, but many actors, when I moved into the acting profession, I could, I still can't believe how much ego there is and how spoiled people can be you know, like very precious, like, oh, I can't do this scene because someone's looking at me wrong. Or, you know, you hear stories about actors exploding on set because they heard talking in the distance or something wasn't right. And I'm like, come on, I have no tolerance for that. I think that's super lame. So in that regard, I find acting pretty easy in a way, in the sense that, you know, just just do it, man. There's, don't don't complain, just do it. <laughs> It's a pretty, it's a pretty good life. Well, certainly the dancing discipline, like you mentioned, being self-aware, but also not putting your ego first, like, oh my God, I have to be the most important person in this scene, rather trying to say, how can I make the scene as good as possible? Totally. And, and be willing to take direction, you know, be, if, if someone says to you, that was, that was really shit, you need to do it again, just do it again. Yeah. don't take it personally just do it again and do it better and keep doing it and that's a really good point that you made about also this you know it's not about you it's about making the entire show as good as it can be so if that means stepping back and letting someone else shine you do that because if it's a better scene then it's going to be a better show that's just common sense to me but I was surprised when I became an actor and came into the acting world how yeah not all actors are like that. <laughs> Some are really bad. <laughs> wow. Well, yeah. actually, I don't know any actors but you, so. <laughs> I mean, you know, I'm an actor, so I can say this, but actors are the worst. They're the worst. Oh. <laughs> well, not taking things personally is a great skill to have in life because so many things are not personal in so many situations. I'm trying to learn this also. Things are not personal against you and the less you take them personally, the more fluidly you can move through life. Absolutely. There's a beautiful quote, which of course I can't remember, but it's about practicing never being offended And really that's such a, especially now, because there's, you know, there's a lot of offense. People are very sensitive about a lot of different things and it's a big practice. It's a big life practice. And I have even doing it for a day is something else. Just take a day and like take every moment going like, you know, wow, I realize how much I get offended. I get offended with inanimate objects sometimes, you know, I put my arm through my sweater and I'm offended by the goddamn sweater, you know, so like, (laughs) (laughs) what is it like for you when you display different emotions? Because you, you know, there's such a plethora of different feelings and emotional displays. How do you kind of get yourself in the mode of saying, okay, now I'm really sad and I'm going to cry. Now I'm going to, now I'm angry. How do you get yourself into those emotional states to, to betray them? I mean, every actor is different. I, I learned the hard way not to, some people use personal experiences. Some people do method acting where they really become the character, which 
I'm so, uh, that's not my jam at all because I have a family that I want to come home to and I have my life and my soul that I want to protect and anything that I've come close to doing with that, it can wreck you, I think. Which is why some actors are totally nuts is because if you're playing an addict and you think that you have to go and try whatever you need to try to get those feelings, like good luck to you, man, because that's hard going. So, and then my very first acting gig, I was pretty inexperienced. I had just transitioned from being a dancer and I had to do this scene and it was a long shot. So they didn't, they didn't cut in between and they shot where I had to go from really happy to freaking out, crying, sad. And it was a long scene. And the first time or two I did it because of the adrenaline worked really well. Well, you do it sometimes 20 times in a row and I, I was having, because I had no technique, I didn't know what I was doing. And I had to keep thinking of these more and more horrific things. Like my family is slaughtered and I never had a family. I'm like each scenario I had in my mind to try to get me to this place. And then in the end, the most terrifying thing was I totally dried up and I didn't even care about my family being slaughtered because I didn't have any more tears to cry because you can only push yourself so far, especially when it's not real. And so I learned the hard way. I don't use personal experiences at all. So even if, you know, I had to play a mother whose children died, I don't go anywhere near thinking about my own children dying. It's easy, let me tell you, if you want to cry, like I could cry right now thinking of it, but that's, I find that a little bit too dangerous to mess with for my own sanity. So I just try to physicalize it. I just simply think of, what does it feel like to be sad? And maybe because I'm a dancer, I get the physical feelings in my body and then I kind of attach it to biofeedback a little bit, attach it to certain words. I play music when I read my script and memorize my lines. And so if I'm listening to certain things and then sometimes then on the day I can listen to the same song and it triggers the feeling. That's a good, good one for me. That's using smart. music. Mm. That helps a lot, actually, because certain songs can make you cry and you don't even know why. Mm-hmm. So if you know you need to cry, learn your lines with a sad song, listen to the song before you go into set and it'll help. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. I, I, feel like, I feel like any real actor who's watching this is going to go, that's terrible technique, Amy. Fail. No, you're, <laughs> you're a great actor, though. <laughs> it also sometimes just helps... If you're lucky enough to have a good scene partner, which I have worked with a lot of brilliant actors, Linus, like I said, is one of them. It can be so beautifully effortless in that way that all you have to do is connect energetically as a human with them on set. And there's so much, if you get with someone, it can be electric, Mm. like just having that intimate contact, the... I don't know, the fission between the two actors sometimes is enough that it's just, there's so much to work with. That has happened to me a couple of times and it's pretty fun. Wow. I'm trying to imagine like a couple of actors going into a scene and them like taking on these energies of sadness or anger or happiness that aren't necessarily something they're experienced, but like stepping into that and then acting from that. That's... Yeah. It's hard to work with actors who are method actors. I find it very hard. It's good when you're doing the scene with them because it's very intense and very real, but then when they are not able to drop it, when they yell cut, and they still have to be this 
asshole or whatever they're playing. That's, uh, I, I don't know. I'm, I find that really boring because, you know, you have to take care of the people who are taking care of you. And every project I've worked on has had, especially Vikings, has had such hardworking crew who get there hours before the actors do and they stay there hours after we leave and they get us our food and they get us our drinks and they do our makeup and they give us our coats and they put us in warm tents when everybody else is outside freezing doing cameras, you know? So for me, I just feel like you have to treat those people like gold. And so I get really upset when I see actors not treating crew well because they have to stay in character. Like, give me a break, man, get over yourself. I don't like that. I was going to say, do you think it's sort of like an excuse to be egoistic and narcissistic and everything's about me and I have to stay in this role? I'm so important. Like, don't touch my water. Put it in the wrong place. Like, you know what? I think, and this is a big statement coming from me because there are a lot of very famous Oscar winning actors who are method actors, but I think there's a lot of fear because it's really hard to flip in and out. Mm. Staying in one character is much easier than crying and then flipping and being really nice to people and then going back into character, then being yourself. And then, you know, that's, that's hard. If you have to play a jerk and then you just decide to be a jerk to everybody all day, every day that you shoot the movie, that's a lot easier, frankly. You don't really have to switch. Yeah, it's very selfish. And so I can understand if an actor is fearful that they can't deliver and switch when they yell action and they need to stay in that, you know, maybe that's why they're staying in it. That's my armchair analysis. (laughs) Well, fear is at the root of a lot of behavior that is mean or cruel. Yeah. Beware of staring into the abyss because the abyss also stares into you sense beware taking on this this role of this mean person because this mean person is also taking a role in you or some way yeah yeah no but I mean of course and it does it it affects you I one of the hardest things I had to do was play a role where I was really mean to a child that was awful I hated it I hated it so much he was a sweet little kid he was probably about seven or eight so luckily he was old enough that he understood but I hated it I really did I mean I I just made sure that I had a good talk with him and I really bonded with him and that's you know that's a really good example where I don't feel like you have a choice as an actor you you need to snap out of it and be as kind and as loving as possible to that child because it's super weird to be mean to a kid you know especially when you don't he was a stranger to me. So to have stayed in character or, or to have taken any of that on myself, no way. Not good for your soul. Mm, uh, you're right. It's also probably not easy to be a child actor. So. Yeah, well, yeah. I mean, child actors are usually smarter than the adult actors. <laughs> I think children are often smarter than adults. Yes. They My are, kids are much smarter than me. Yeah, for sure. (laughs) Was that the hardest role that you've had to play where you were mean to a child? Was that the most challenging thing you've had to do? Or what's been the most difficult thing you've ever done as an actor? 
that one was hard. It sounds really goofy, but I, I have mostly been cast in quite aggressive roles or evil or crazy. <laughs> I think about everything I've played is usually some level of psychosis. I don't know why. I know. Well, that's yeah. Because I'm a pretty boring person in real life, so I don't know why. I think people think I look nuts, but I had to play the romantic lead in two musicals, Oklahoma and Guys and Dolls, and I found both of those really hard because they were nice girls. That sounds so. That sounds so weird. But I I really struggled to. They were boring to me because they were just, they weren't the funny one. They weren't the evil one. They weren't the naughty one. They were just, they were like the pretty one. Mm. And whenever I've had to play kind of the lead girl, I quite often find leading lady roles really boring. I usually like what they call a character role, which is like the secondary role because it's more interesting. Mm. I would much rather play the villain than the hero. So those two roles I really struggled with because they were just, they were just kind of like, you know, the pretty girl who got the cute guy. And that was really hard. I was always trying to find ways to make that more interesting. Do you think that those roles, did they develop during the plays or were they kind of static? I mean, I tried hard not to make them static. Any actor worth their salt will course try to do that and I I tried to find their flaws I wanted to find where they were weak or where they weren't likable because I think there's a danger when you're playing a character that's so likable that everybody loves you the audience just loves you because you're the perfect you know girl or perfect guy or hero or whatever I find it really boring to play that and I never want to be bored as an actor because then you kill your character So characters that interest me are the flawed ones, you know, the weird ones, the hurt ones, the ones that aren't perfect, the ones that you don't know if you like very much. I really enjoy playing characters that I don't like. That makes sense because it's more interesting. I have to work harder. And then I develop, I develop empathy and I usually always learn something about human nature because I'm putting myself into the type of person I wouldn't want. Like, I wouldn't want to hang out with Gwen Perth. She's nuts, you know? She's a total selfish, psychotic weirdo. But playing her for four years really put me in touch with, oh, this character trait that I don't like in people, there's a lot of deep-rooted issues there and gave me a lot of empathy. And I was able to step into those shoes and figure out some stuff and wonder why I didn't like certain traits. So it's like a study of humanity. It's like psychology in some way. Yeah, definitely. I studied literature and I always say literature, what are books about? They're about people. Even if they're about animals, you give them personalities. It's like psychology. It's stories. Every story is about people and it's about conflict. It sounds to me like you like a challenge, like you like to learn something. Oh, yeah. Mm. Yes, I have to be learning something. That's why I don't like this. Like I was saying, some of the the roles where everything is kind of played out and the character has a perfect life, they're always going to win the situation. Mm. That's boring to me. 
Well, maybe that's why you play the interesting roles because the other <laughs> ones are boring for you. Yeah, yeah, yep. <laughs> I wanted to talk to you a little bit about Queen Quinthrith, not to talk too much about Vikings, but she's very contradictory. She's like, she has a lot of levels to her because, you know, on the one hand, she's protecting her brother and then she only protects him to kill him publicly. It's such a, it's such a weird, you know, she yeah. helps Ragnar, she's kind to him, but at the same time, she's really out for her own self-interest and, yeah. you know, she has a son and she's protecting his son. It's a very, there's so much to her. You know, and it was really nice because like I said, I didn't, I didn't know much about Quinthrith when I first joined the show. All I know, she was this like chick who was hopping into bed with everybody. When I did the audition for Quinthrith, there was a scene where, uh, you know, I, I'm with Eckbert and then I tire him out and then a guard is let in or two guards or something. That's what the audition is. Then, then I got on set and it was like, oh, it was four guards now. And I was going, I don't even know how that works. I don't know how <laughs> four guards would work. So, you know, so I was always being surprised by stuff, but Michael was writing the character as he went. And so that first season, I had no idea why she was so sexed up. And I found it hard to play because I was trying to find out, not that there needs to be a reason, be sexed up if you want to be, but I was just, I was trying to dig and find motivation for all of, for everything that she did. Michael didn't write about her abused past until the next year. And when he did, and we had a meeting about it, I was like, ah, oh, it all clicked into place because there were certain things that she was doing and the way she used um, sex as power. And I was like, oh, this makes sense because I, people were just sort of labeling her as a nymphomaniac. And I was like, that's fine, but that feels a little shallow to me. And, I, and it doesn't mean that, you know, I am by no means saying that nymphomania or a big sexual appetite is in any way linked to abuse at all. It doesn't have to be, but when Michael told me that it was, it made a lot of sense. And then I was able to, and it was kind of beautiful actually, because I was like, well, this is why she is so sexually aggressive is because she has been the aggressed upon from a child. And so I feel like when she hits maturity, she decides she will never be submissive again. And so that's why she's the alpha dog. And that's why she's pursuing sexual situations because she wants to be in charge of them. And then I was able to play the sex scenes from a much deeper level instead of just being like, oh, you know, I want sex all the time. It was like, no, actually this is a power play and um, I am being dominant in this situation because I will never be dominated again. And that was really poignant and helpful for me as an actor. You're right. It really helps you to understand her better once you realize she was sexually abused and she was just coping with that. And it was, it was a way of healing too, because, you know, just because you, there is sexual abuse in your past doesn't mean that you can't enjoy sex later on. And so I felt like for her as a woman, that was her way of healing as well so that she could be like, no, I'm taking charge. And I'm just because I had horrible experiences with sex as a child doesn't mean that I can't figure out how to have a healthy sex life as an adult. So I was quite proud of her. <laughs> it, you know, I, I felt proud of the character. I felt happy for her that she was able to, to heal that way. 
Does she enjoy sex? <laughs> Did it a lot. <laughs> <laughs> well, once you see what the root cause of her actions were, then it's a lot easier to sympathize with her or empathize with her, be compassionate towards her because you know what is causing the activity. Yeah. Not that there's something wrong with it, but... I learned a lot with that character because I had so much negativity from women about that character. You know, I mean, men, I don't mean to paint men with the same brush, but the, the male response in a lot of ways is very typical. Ooh, baby, you're a nymphomaniac in real life. No, I'm not. It's TV, dude, but whatever. I still get a lot of that from guys, but um, who don't know that TV is not real. <laughs> but, you know, there was a lot of slut shaming from women. And I was really genuinely shocked when, you know, reviews started coming out or I'd see stuff online. And there were a lot of women being like, oh, she's just a crazy, selfish, slutty something. And I was like, whoa, women are really, I like, I couldn't understand why they hated her for being a sexual character because I thought she was a really positive sexual character. You know, she enjoyed, like she wasn't hurting anybody. She was enjoying herself. She was happy. She'd figured it out. And I mean, you know, power to her was my feelings about it. So it really shocked me. And I feel like I learned a lot about the psyche of women and sex and how they view a sexually aggressive woman how the women who speak out about it view it because probably the women who are like oh she's a great character don't go writing nasty things online because they're like oh good for her maybe maybe in general just more well adjusted anyway (laughs) 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 but you know also I think you know everybody loved Ragnar so much and people get very protective of their favorite characters and I understand that but they there were a lot of women who were really angry about the thought that Quenthrith would have a sexual relationship with Ragnar and they and there was a lot of like oh she's making him do it she's this horrible like sexual vampire or something and I was going what is like I don't I don't understand that kind of hate for a sexually dominant woman was was surprising to me it was like Ragnar was a victim or something. And like, he isn't, he's not a victim. He's a big boy. He can choose to be peed on or not. <laughs> well, it's not like Ragnar was a virgin before that. Well, you thank know? you very much. Thank you very much. Because Ragnar, dare I say, was sluttier than Quintrathrith. <laughs> he went and had all those babies. So, you know, come on. Huh? Double sluttered. <laughs> <laughs> Well, sometimes maybe people vilify other people when it's like you were saying how taking on different roles helps you understand characters because you can see what's at the root of stuff. Maybe people vilify things that threaten them. They see something in themselves that Quinthrop reminds them of something in themselves and they don't like that part of themselves. So then they vilify her and try and say, oh, she's so bad, but really they're reacting to whatever is in themselves or... Yeah, maybe so. I don't know. I'd love to know. I'd love, you know, I'd love to ask some of those. I wish somebody would do like a whole psychological breakdown of Vikings. I tried to find this a couple of times. I was like, why isn't anybody doing like a whole breakdown of 
That show deserves a breakdown. It's so interesting to be in a TV show and play a character and then read stuff online and people like they say like they know and and it's kind of funny because we know obviously we're the actors we read the the scripts and we have the meetings with the writers and Michael's making it up you know he's basing it on real people but this is all out of his brain and so it's really funny to me when when I see viewers being like no this and this didn't happen and this character you know there's no way that they could have slept with this person or had this baby and I'm going you guys don't you don't know what you're talking about but they get really you know protective of their characters and I think that's a sign of a of a great show is because mm. they start to think that it's real and get very invested in what they know to be true mm-hmm. when they, mm. they don't know it but <laughs> You know, it's good. I've done it too. I've yelled at the TV. I watched Game of Thrones and yelled at the TV a lot because I thought that I knew better than the TV show about what the characters should do. I get it. You also had your twins on set with you. I was lucky enough to find this page and it was like all pictures of you and other actors from Vikings on set with your twins. It was really, really, yeah, it was really adorable. It was all kinds of pictures of them together with all the different actors. You found that online? Yeah, I found it online. I think it was from Instagram. I don't think it was somebody like going around with a phone taking pictures, but I think it was like collected Instagram posts of your twins. Oh, cool. Yeah, it was really cute. Um, Yeah, they have lots of aunts and uncles. (laughs) Being a mother, has that changed acting for you? Has it changed your roles? How is Oh, yeah. In what way? Emotionally, it's changed everything. I can cry at everything now. I think that's just, do you know what? It's probably just being really tired all the time. I can cry all the time. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) But no, I think just for me anyway, you know, it was like the bottom of my, the well of my emotions got so much deeper and so much more intense and so much richer and I don't even know exactly why, because again, I don't ever use my children or my family as motivation for emotional work. But I think even just having gone to places in my personal life that I hadn't before, you know, the moment you see your child, oh my God, just the moment I found out I was pregnant, the moment the babies came out of me and I held them for the first time, you know, those are new synaptic passages that are happening in my brain that are now available for me as an actor, if that makes sense. So my depth of emotional, my scale has gotten much wider, including my anger. Like, oh my gosh, I feel like I could, you know, easily kill when it comes to protecting a child. And now that I have my own children, it's like, you know, I probably probably could. (laughs) But then, yeah, like you said, practically wise, it's different because I an actor's life is a very nomadic life so I always have to factor in you know do I want to go to you know Sarajevo for six months to shoot something I don't know <laughs> dragging your kids around you know mm-hmm. but people do it and we're a pretty we're a nomadic family Anthony likes to travel too so since your baby was just born recently is it okay if mm-hmm. I ask you because I read you gave you had a home birth I read on your Instagram yeah, I had a home birth with the twins and with uh, my new little one as well. Wow. Can I ask you a little bit about what that was like? 
so hard. <laughs> so, so hard. I wish I, you know what? I'm a great advocate for home birth because I had really, really hard ones. And I still would say that it's a wonderful choice if that's your comfort zone. For me, I think um, I could wax lyrical about women in childbirth forever because I'm very passionate about women's choice in the matter. And I think ultimately it's up to the woman and whatever her comfort level is. My comfort level is not being in the hospital. I don't want to be in the hospital. I don't want to be on drugs. That's just me. It's my, like, doesn't make me feel safe or good. It makes me feel out of control. But if a woman wants that, she should do it. And the caveat there is that I think that, well, I know because I've experienced it myself and then talking to countless, countless other women that there's a lot of bullying with women in childbirth and labor because hospitals are on a schedule. They want convenience. They just don't, labor can take a long, long time and it's very time consuming And I think sometimes doctors can be just a little bit like, come on, give her the drugs, get the baby out. And yeah, I wish sometimes that women were given more choice and were more informed about that they don't have to, and they they weren't fear-mongered. You know, there's a lot of fear-mongering. When I went into, when I was pregnant with the twins and I was 15 weeks pregnant and the doctor immediately started talking to me about a C-section and I was just going like, that's major invasive surgery this is a healthy pregnancy. There's no reason why I would do that. And in my mind, unless there's a problem, that's like an emergency. Thank God we have it. Thank God we have C-sections. But, you know, I was just so surprised that that was sort of presented as a given instead of, well, let's just go for it naturally if we can. But anyway, like I said, I I could go on and on and on about that. I a natural at home birth. I'm not pregnant, but one day, so I'll have to ask you more about it then. Yes, please do. I, I could talk about it for hours. I have such a passion for midwifery, and I think midwives are an art form, and I'm mm-hmm. sad that it's dying out a little bit. And a lot of that is because of, I think, you know, pressure from from other forces, and it's hard for them to get medical insurance and. Anyway, so uh, it's just sad that our bodies can do it, but I think that we're losing the ability to do it if we don't practice it more and we don't let midwives do what they can do, which is, you know, they are, they're heroes. Well, you're a hero if you gave birth to twins naturally at home with no painkiller, that respect. That- no. And it was not easy, girl. It was like World How War Three. My water broke uh, on a Sunday at the weekend, and I labored until Thursday. Had them on Thursday. Yeah, mm-hmm. I mean, not hard. You know, there's different stages of yeah. labor, but it was, it was something special. So my daughter was born first, and she was. I'm gonna get this wrong. She was posterior, so she was head first, but she was the wrong way around, and she had her arm up. I think there's not much space for the head. Well, head and an arm. And then my son flipped around after she was born. And so he was breech. So he was butt first. Oh. He came out like in a pike position. Yeah, it was really hard. It was really awful. But do you know what? 
what I was thankful for, even though it was so hard and so long and so painful, I had four extremely experienced midwives who were brilliant and I felt very safe the whole time. And the babies were safe, were close to a hospital. So we factored that in if there was an emergency. And I never felt, I was just never pressured into anything. If I had gone the other way, possibly into a hospital, I think there would have been a lot of pressure on me to take drugs that I wasn't comfortable taking and um, to hurry it up. And I, I think I, it would have ended up in, you know, with a birth that I didn't want. So for me, I was glad that I stayed home. But, you know, I did a lot of research about it first. So that's what I was comfortable with. Hopefully the third was a little bit easier after that ordeal with the first two. Yeah, you'd think. <laughs> no. <laughs> It was, it, it was because there was only one, but it still surprised me. I was like, man, why does it hurt so much? <laughs> this is supposed to be easy, right? And the second one isn't supposed, aren't the second one supposed to fly out or something like that? No, it didn't happen. Yeah, my mother gave birth to four kids and all naturally, no painkillers. My mom's tough, but hopefully if she did it, I can do it, but... Absolutely. And it's just, it's just about, you know, it's like you don't run a marathon without preparing. You do a lot of work. You prepare your body, you prepare your mind. I did breath work, I did hypnosis and I, and you have to want to do it and you have to have very strong foundations for knowing why you want it, because that is what will give you courage mm -hmm. when you mm -hmm. think you're going to die, you know? that's what will sit with you and remind you and go like, okay, I made this choice and these are all the reasons and I feel so strongly about them. And so this gives me a lot of strength to carry through. Wow. And obviously it helped to have the midwife supporting you and your husband supporting you. Wow. Yeah. Your partner has to be on board because it's pretty, you know, Anthony will say like he was, he was totally on board with the whole thing, but he had to watch it and it's, you know, I think I had like post-traumatic stress <laughs> after watching the twins being born because it was, you know, it's hard to watch someone you love in so much pain. Yeah, for four days. Um, yeah, but I was so, yeah, I was so determined and I had really strong reasons that made me want to do it. So it helped. They say that people will find a how if you give them a why. If you give, they mm -hmm. have a good enough reason, they'll find the how on their own. There you go. Yeah. Wow. Mm -hmm. I have a lot of respect for you for giving birth. Well, call me up when you're pregnant. We'll talk. <laughs> <laughs> it's a sensitive subject because some people have strong opinions in, in one direction or the other, but I feel strongly I'd like yeah. to go in that direction, although I'm terrified and my mom's like, She's like, oh, I think after you give birth, you block out the pain. It's like you black it out and you don't remember the pain. <laughs> never do it again because it's insane. <laughs> <laughs> Except you want to do it again, potentially. For yeah, no, I forgot. That was easy. See? <laughs> I think your point, though, I think it's important that women are not shamed for their choices. So I don't want to come across as being like, you know, oh, I'm, I'm a tough guy and therefore, you know, I'm stronger or made better choices or whatever. It is all about your comfort zone. I just think, because if a woman is truly terrified and she doesn't want to do it, that is not going to help her no. give birth. She That's needs to be most comfortable, the most relaxed that she can be. So 
you know, do what you need to do. And the only thing I would say is that I don't think women are encouraged to um, know their full options and know that mm. home birth is an option. And then an easy home birth is an option and an almost painless home birth is an option because I've talked to countless women that's their experience. It's like beautiful water birth and they grunted twice and the baby came out and wasn't it spectacular? I mean, that happens. There's orgasmic birth, you know, where women have orgasms because the birth experience is so marvelous, which is what I hoped for and didn't get, but you know, it happens. So it's possible. So I think that we as women and mothers need to know that that's available to us. It doesn't have to be this screaming horror show or, you know, being, cut up it that was crass of me to say it that way but you know we have we have options we can do a lot more than maybe we're told we can do well that's empowering to know what the options are and then you can make your own choice rather than just do what you're told you have to do exactly by a doctor who's never given birth mm. <laughs> is your wedding ring a tattoo yeah ah so you guys tattooed your wedding rings on yeah. Oh, an A? An a. It's, not, it's not a Y for Y. Because you both have A. a. Yeah. Oh, that's so cool. Anthony, yeah, we have the same initials. So all of our kids are A's as well. The A team. Ah. <laughs> oh, that's so cute. <laughs> Can I ask you a few more questions? Do you still have time or do you have to go? Yeah, the kids asleep. Go for it. This is my party time. time. <laughs> I actually brought a, a cupcake to eat during this interview, but then I realized it was chocolate and I might have it in my teeth and that'd be kind of, that'd be kind of weird. I'll tell you if you have it in your teeth. <laughs> <laughs> when you found out that Queen Quinthrith was going to die, was it unexpected for you? Did you kind of know how long the character would stay or it sounds like a lot was uncertain? Was it sad for you to leave or were you kind of like okay I've been playing this role for years now I want to do something different I knew I was going to leave because I knew I was pregnant so you shoot a show and then even even a very successful show you all I mean everybody waits to get the renewal so you don't even really know I can't remember what our shoot dates were so for example you would shoot from like April to November and then everyone waits to hear if the network's going to renew the show. And that happens for every show unless they get like a, you know, an automatic, I don't think that happens very often where they're like, well, we're going to, you know, buy three seasons of this show. So everyone's sort of waiting to hear if they're going to die or come back or not anyway. And in that time while we were waiting, I felt pregnant. Oh. And so I was like, Oh shoot. And then I was trying to work it out in my head because Vikings is such a long show and they're, you know, they shoot for months. So it's possible that I could have had a baby taken a month off where they wrote my character out for, you know, a few episodes and then come back like it, that could have worked out. And then I found out I was pregnant with twins. And then I started going like, I, I don't, I don't think this is going to work. We found out the show was being renewed for season four and I called Michael and I called the producers and I was just like I'm pregnant with twins and what should we do and then you know we talked it out and so it, it made sense 
because I knew that I couldn't, there's no way I could have had the babies and then tried to come back on the show. It just wouldn't have, and that's exactly what happened. I had the babies and I, you know, I didn't work for at least six months. So yeah, so we just decided that was, and it felt right as well. I mean, I, Quinthworth kind of had slept with everybody at that point. So, you know, who's left? But her and Aethelwolf were just developing a romance. I know. Oh, I sweet love. <laughs> Yeah, you know, I have a funny, I've, I have a funny uh, story about that. So, because you never know what's going to happen to your character. So you come, you come back to the show and everybody's getting the scripts and you kind of go, you know, you, you go through the scripts and you look for your name to try to see what your character's going to do because you just kind of never know what Michael has written. And so I went through and I found, and I was like, oh, Quinthworth and Ethel Wolf hook up. And we're like, oh yeah, you know, because we love each other. We're like, yeah, Mo, high five. We're going to, you know, hook up this season. Cool. But I was pregnant, so it was very funny because I, you know, I called him and I was like, oh, by the way, you know, I'm, I'm already pregnant, so we're going to be dealing with that on set because he had to navigate my belly like, you know, <laughs> I laid on the, on the bed. There was a scene where he came in, my character was asleep and he came in, you know, and he kisses her and stuff and he had to do like this push-up thing over my book because my belly was so big. So it was really funny working together. And then this past year... In the fall, I did a British, really cool British film called Knuckle Dust, and Mo got cast as the lead opposite, and I was his girlfriend in the movie. Aww. And I called him up, and I was like, "Yeah, we get to work together again. It's the best." And I was like, "And I'm pregnant again." Ah! All of our scenes, I'm knocked up again. So the two times that I've worked with Mo. As his love interest, I've had a huge belly on set. So um, I just told him, I was like, so if I need to get pregnant again, I'll just get cast in a movie with you and then I'll no doubt I'll be pregnant because third time's a charm. Oh my God. <laughs> That's so oh. funny. <laughs> yeah. I wanted to play the game with you. You know this game, Kill, Marry, Sleep With. I wanted to play it to you with the three kings that you were involved with on Vikings. So, okay. Aethelwolf, Eckbert, and Ragnar. So you can choose oh, one of them to marry, one of them just to have sex with, and one of them <laughs> you have to kill. <laughs> well, I, I mean, let me just answer it as Quenvereth, maybe. That's <laughs> easier. Yeah, I'll take the easy way out because they're all my buddies and I wouldn't want to hurt anyone's feelings by saying I would kill you. No, <laughs> they're all delightful and I love them all. But I think Quentworth would definitely kill them, marry them, and have sex with all three of them. Yeah, all three. <laughs> all of them, all three. <laughs> Can't leave any survivors. So first she would first she would have sex with them to kind of get their interest. Then she'd marry them to take their kingdoms and then she'd kill them. Mm. sorry guys and maybe have one of their sons and who knows who it is then <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah that's a good way of answering it what would you do oh who would you sleep with or? obviously I had a I had a bit of a thing for Ragnar in the show yeah everybody does either Wolf or Ragnar would make the best husband Eckbert was too narcissistic I think not that yeah Ragnar wasn't also kind of narcissistic, but Eckbert was, uh, yeah. Yeah, he was a strategist. 
Yeah. He's the character I would have liked to play if I if I were an actor, if I were a male actor. Uh, mm-hmm. He was my favorite character because he was so interesting and, he, and unpredictable. That's why I liked him mm-hmm. because I've, I found him, I never knew if I liked him or not. And I liked that yeah. about him. Yeah. Yeah, it was the same with Quinta. I had mixed feelings towards her. So did I. So did I. Really hard to, yeah, and totally unpredictable. It was super fun to play. What is your favorite book, Amy? My favorite book? I like anything by Margaret Atwood. I think she's a genius. I just finished Philip Pullman's latest book. I love all of his stuff, his dark materials. He did The Golden Compass. It was made into a terrible movie years ago. His latest book just came out. I mean, I love science fiction. That's kind of my favorite thing to read. Loved all the Game of Thrones books. I thought it was impossible that they would make a TV show out of it. And when, they, when I heard it was being made, I was like, no, it's going to be terrible. Oh, it was actually pretty good. <laughs> um, yeah, I love, I love fantasy and science fiction. That, those are my favorite genres. Is there one book you'd recommend everyone else to read if they could only read one book? Well, right now would be an interesting uh, time to read Handmaid's Tale. I know that the show's out, but there are some things happening in the world today that I'm going like, oh my gosh, this is... I mean, anything by Margaret Atwood. She's She's very dystopian, but she's super smart. And she has a good beat on how things can go awry if people aren't careful and misinformation, blah, blah, blah. She wrote a book called Oryx and Crake, which is about a society that breaks down. And that's really interesting. Of course, everyone should read 1984 right now. (laughs) Kind of revisit some of those classics and keep track of how things are going. My dad's a big sci-fi nut as well. Yeah, we have conversations just going like, whoa, this is like a novel unfolding before our eyes. Super creepy. (laughs) One of the things that's really cool about a show like Vikings, it shows you people from thousands of years ago, but we're not that different today from how people were before. We just have different situations and there are always going to be people kind of having power wars. And I think it's like 1984 and a handmaid's tale. They're really good to kind of remind us how valuable freedom is. And that what happened in the past thousands of years ago, even with old civilizations, a hundred years ago, 200 years ago, it can always happen again. Totally. Like it's it, human nature. Yeah. Human, you know, we human really have to, when we talk about like, what is the solution for our current situation? And it just comes down to how much can we trust those in power? Well, what do we think of human nature? Are we optimists or pessimists? And that's pretty scary because it depends on the quality of character of person who's in charge. And we just got to trust that they have our best interests at heart or, or the people got to rise up. I don't know. That's true. It's very, very true. Yeah. We didn't really talk so much about the quarantine. It's an you know, interesting experience right now to kind of see what's happening in the world because we have so much information available. We have everybody has social media. You have people reporting stuff live. You have Twitter. But at the same time, it's also like uh, information is a tool of, of power. So it's like uh, we've seen the rise of information and now we're seeing 
the good and the bad. And I don't know what the good and what the bad is, but yeah, it's, uh, yeah it, I'm finding it an absolute total mess. I don't, I don't love mainstream media at all. I actually, we don't have a TV and I have stopped. No, we don't watch TV. I don't have TV. I can't, I can't deal with it. I mean, anything that I want to watch, like shows or streaming, we can watch online. But I just, I find sort of the mainstream TV coverage and newspapers, I just don't trust it. I, I find it too sensational. It's just not the kind of energy I want to live with. I find it very, very fear-mongering. So with this, I don't know, it's confusing. I, what I've decided to do is just reach out to people because I find that personal stories are also always compelling and believable. So um, all of my friends, like any friends that I have in the medical profession in the U.S. or other countries, I've written to them just going like, let me know what your experience is. You're, you know, are you, I have an ER nurse friend in LA and I was just like what what are you guys doing what's actually happening because I'm reading reports about stuff but is it the truth and sure enough not many of the stories match up and it's really weird so I'm just always curious today I bumped into a friend which was so hard because we wanted to hug but we're like social distancing I don't know how does this work and I the first thing I said was do you have any friends who have the virus because I'm curious what the actual numbers are and the people who are having it what are their symptoms and how bad is it and that for me is a better gauge of what's actually going on than um, trying to keep up with what politicians are telling us or the governmental bodies because um, sometimes I feel like there's well I believe there's always an agenda of some sort and I don't know how much I trust that completely you can control what people think and you can make them afraid you can get them to do almost anything actually and you see it there's so much fear right now there's so much fear and there we public are accepting so many rules that i think are in certain ways crossing the line Um, they've had some trouble with police over here in england who are getting a bit overvigilant with their power (laughs) and they've had to get slaps on the wrist because you know they're they're going after people who aren't doing anything wrong and I don't know if that's again that comes down to human nature and and character so if you give power to someone who has power like a police person and you say you are allowed to police the public so it's it's a question of character there's the type of police person who's going to take that and understand and use it wisely, then there's the type who's going to abuse it. So that has been since the dawn of time. So all we can do is hope that those who are in power and making the rules in this game have good character. We really have our interests at heart instead of other things. I agree with you. Yeah. I think one thing that happens very often is people think, oh, that country uses propaganda. They're bad. There's propaganda here. I think there's pretty much everywhere propaganda to a certain extent because every government is in contact with the media, regardless of how much you think they are or are not. And um, I did a podcast on Hatshepsut, a female pharaoh from ancient Egypt, 3,500 years ago. I did it with um, Kara Kuni. She's a UCLA professor. She's really nice. And what she told me, what she explained is she used propaganda. The ancient Egyptians knew how to use propaganda 5,000 years ago. 
they always would paint their image in a certain way. They would not report anything negative in the records that they left behind. They were using propaganda 5,000 years ago. Isn't that nuts? I believe it. Yeah. I believe it. We humans are suckers for power. You're not. I, I would like to think that I'm not, but I, you know, I'm open to knowing that I always have a lot to learn. I certainly have had experiences where I didn't think, you know, I didn't think I had much of an ego and then go, moving into the acting world and you read stuff about yourself, which is always tricky. And that was new to me. And I was like, what? And, you know, and, and it can do both. It can hurt your ego or it can flatter your ego. And both things you can't take personally, right? Mm-hmm. It's dangerous. Yeah, you can't take the compliments personally. You can't take, take the criticism personally. You know, and I had to just, I mean, I always want to monitor myself anyway, but that was a big change for me because I had never had fans or, or people who, you know, knew me or wanted my autograph or something like that. I mean, it's still, it's tiny compared to what some people deal with, but fame is a weird thing, you know, it's, it's really strange for, for people to know you or want to know you. And you have to be careful about how that makes you feel good or bad. I see what you mean. You know? So let's say that you read an article, newspaper about yourself, one negative, and the next day one positive. How do you react to both articles in order to not take them personally? How do you? I mean, really, ultimately, it's just remembering that I also have my own opinion. You know, I have, I have liked and disliked a million things for my own reasons. And that's what we all do, right? We all have opinions about stuff. So it's just, it's none of my business what people think at all. Everyone's welcome to think what they want. So if, if I have trouble remembering that, you know, it's, it's sad if I ever take something to heart, you know, if someone doesn't like my role or doesn't like my acting or whatever, that's my problem. That's really sad that I would let it affect me because it's a waste of time and energy because it's not, it's not my business. It's everybody's right to like what they want or not. So are you kind of step back and say, okay, well, they can think what they want to think, but I'm going to think what I want to think and I let them believe whatever they want. It's not my job to. Yeah. Yeah, of course. Of course, you know, and I I read a quote. I mean, this sounds a bit harsh, but I quite liked it that Coco Chanel said, I don't care what you think because I don't think of you at all. (laughs) It sounds a bit mean, but really it's, it's quite good because it doesn't matter. You know, it really doesn't. You you could go crazy caring about what people think about you, especially if you're an actor and everyone has a thousand different opinions about your role or your character, how you did it. Oh my God, you will never, ever, you know, I learned a really valuable lesson. One of the first things I ever did was a movie called nine. It was a really huge, huge movie. I was a dancer and it was like Nicole Kidman and Penelope Cruz and Daniel Day-Lewis and Sophia Loren and Judy Dench. I mean, this crazy cast. It was in 2009. It came out big musical, huge budget, massive. And Daniel Day-Lewis, who's arguably the most famous and most celebrated and possibly best actor of our time, was the lead. And he's magnificent. I'm a huge diehard fan of his. I think he's great. But he didn't get good reviews 
for that role, which was crazy, you know, because he's like Daniel Day-Lewis, he's the best actor in the world and he can't, but people didn't, you know, they thought he was miscast or they um, just didn't think that he did the role well. And I was like, there you go. If the greatest actor in the world can get bad reviews, you know, that's people's opinion. It's, it is what it is. It's so subjective. That's true. And who's right? I don't know. Everybody's right. Everybody's wrong. Is there a right? No. (laughs) (laughs) Of course not. Of course not. There's no right. There's no wrong. Do what you want. (laughs) Yeah, there's a quote that I like. It's like, the formula two plus two equals five is sometimes very attractive. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I think going back to what we talked about earlier, if we could all, and I'm talking to myself when I say this, if we could all truly practice the art of not being offended, it would just make all of our own lives better. You know, it's a, it's a much happier place to be. And that doesn't mean that you can't have opinions, but it just, it puts you in a place of openness and you hear a lot more truth after we've just declared that there is no truth, you know, you, you, you can, you can, you hear more, you understand more. I think if I, I should put it, I understand more and I hear more if I'm allowing myself not to be offended by things. That almost sounds Buddhistic. Are you studying meditation or Buddhism or anything? No, <laughs> I do meditate, but it, it's not really any kind of formula or anything. I just kind of, close my eyes and go into cyberspace (laughs) (laughs) not not really any I was brought up as a Catholic but I'm a a very lapsed Catholic so I'm not religious at any way at all I think we're all aliens so I believe in aliens there you go that's my religion Jedi (laughs) (laughs) well I guess if there's any other life out there and there must be we are aliens because we're aliens to them of course. Yeah. Are we illegal aliens? I don't know. That's Trump. <laughs> How do you handle stress? Like, what do you do when you're really, you know, just feel like, oh, I can't handle this or whatever? How do you make yourself feel good again? I take a breath and I remember that I'm just in a video game. Mm-hmm. I'm playing myself in a video game. And isn't this an interesting life? That is interesting. <laughs> I'm not joking. I really, I think sometimes that, um, you know, that we're we're projecting a sort of video game of our own life, and we're and we're playing out this life experience. It's a human experience, and it's mm. ultimately the entirety of a human experience, which is the good, the bad, and the ugly. And mm-hmm. um, you can kind of get a third person perspective on that, and just going like, well, this is what humans do this is what we do we we love and we die and we hate and we cry and we have pain and we have happiness and the fullness of that is is what it means to be human because if we didn't have that we would be an alien we'd be something else we would be a green-headed alien doing that life so you know without sounding too philosophical i think that just remembering not to take it all so incredibly seriously i i have read a lot of work by Eckhart Tolle the power of now, just being in the moment. And that, you know, it's pretty simple. Not easy to execute, but it's simple. It's powerful. Yeah. 
and I think you have to remind yourself, like, at least I do, like, every hour to be present, or not that I remind myself every hour, but you have to remind yourself over and over again, because it's so easy. Yeah, that'd be good practice. Get an alarm on your phone. Ding, be present, be present, be present, be present. And it also helps with, you know, when you do cultivate that kind of presence, it's very, it's expansive, and it makes you more compassionate with other people, because then you don't get so solipsistic in your, like, you know, this is just my one life and yeah. there's me spinning yeah. in my own thoughts and my own drama and my own needs. And mm-hmm. it kind of like, she's like, oh, breathe a bit. And everyone's having, everyone's having that experience. So then that kind of practice has helped me um, be a better friend to other people and better public citizen. <laughs> yeah. I like what you said about expansive. Like, because then you get outside of yourself a little bit and your little world and your little worries and then they don't seem as big in the grand scheme of things. Yeah. It's helped me as a parent, you know, because you have these little crazy, insane balls of emotion that, that are children. Children are just balls of emotion. You know, they go from zero to a hundred fifty-seven times a day and to practice that presence and being like okay like they are acting insane right now but their experience is very real to them you know their lego piece broke and they're screaming that's real pain even though mm-hmm. it's ridiculous to me it's real pain for them so that's practicing presence and empathy with others even though it's not your experience you acknowledge that it's truly mm-hmm. happening for them that's been a really good parental practice acknowledgement a lot of people just really want to be acknowledged yeah. Yeah, of course we all do. Oh my gosh. Absolutely. Just want to be listened to. Even if someone doesn't agree with you, if someone's able to say, I hear you, I hear what you're saying. I don't agree with you, but you know, I hear you. That's like, oh, good. That's <laughs> <needed>. <laughs> it's true. Cause if you can't be heard, then you want to speak even louder and then yeah. you try even harder to get attention. But if you're heard, then it's like, oh, okay. Okay. Yeah, it just opens it all up, opens up all the channels. You're breastfeeding? Yep. Yep, exclusively. I breastfed the twins till they were almost three. Wow. Which was cool. Wow. So I'll go as long as I can with this little guy. It's 10. He'll be up in about an hour. And then it's sort of like up every hour on the hour. So it's it's hard it's hard work right now but you know that that's newborns that's how they that's how they roll well your breakfast lunch and dinner and snacks so i know i'm delicious he's so cute too when he when he hears my voice he smacks his lips Ah! (laughs) my sister has a daughter she's just turning one now and uh, whenever i go see her i hold her and then she'll like you know look at my breast and be like She's yeah. like, no, 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 wrong. Yeah, they're tasty. Boobs are great. Anthony has this, um, we got a little bottle because he wants to have the opportunity to bottle feed him sometimes. And it looks like a boob and he calls it daddy's booby. It's a little bottle. <laughs> it's like, like flesh colored and it looks like a boob. And the baby isn't going for it yet. He's like, that's not a boob. Boobs taste better than that. <laughs> our twins. They call the bottle Daddy's Booby. <laughs> <laughs> Do you have more projects? Or are you going to wait and take care of your child first and think about that? In a different pandemic, 
the answer would be different. All of us right now are just, nobody knows what the hell's going on. So it's pretty weird. Before this happened, there was a really big video game that I worked on with Sony, which was their biggest VR game that came out Christmas time, I think. And they were going to start working on a sequel. So that was in the works. And then it was just starting to be pilot season, which is when all the new big shows come. So, uh, you know, for actors, it's pretty weird right now because usually the biggest opportunities in our careers come sort of like February through April. Mm. That's when all the sh- most of the shows are being cast. So that has all stopped. I mean, all mm. filming has stopped. All production has stopped. People are still being very creative in writing, but no one knows when anything yeah. will get funded or filmed. So it's... It's super tricky. I don't, I really, I don't know what's going to happen. Everyone's kind of in the same boat though, you know, from me having just have had a baby to, you know, my friends who are on multi, multi, like hundred million pound projects that were shooting in London shut down. Like everybody's like selling their furniture, going back to their countries that they moved over here to be here for two years of their life. Everyone stopped. It's crazy. So I don't know. I don't know what the answer is, but people are trying to, you know, they're trying to innovate. I did an audition just about three days ago for a project and I had to film it myself in my living room. And if I got it, they would send the camera equipment over and I would film it in my house. And then the director would like zoom in and direct me. You know, people are trying to find ways to work. Like with a robot filming it or... No, so we, so Anthony, my husband would have to operate the equipment and then the director would be zooming in like you are, giving directions to wow. the scene. I was zooming in with Zoom. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Ah, okay, Zoom. I thought you meant like with cameras. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, zooming in, like Skyping in. Oh, okay. You just taught me a new verb. <laughs> verb, yeah, yeah. I don't know. I mean, and it's doubly strange because the appetite for content is bigger than ever. Yeah. There's going to be a glut. There's going to be a shortage. There's going to be a shortage. Invest in movie making. I don't know. And, you know, TV shows are where it's at. I'm not sure how much cinema, I hate to say, I don't know how much cinema is going to survive after this. They won't be opening cinemas and theaters for a long time. Some industries are fine. They're doing better, but some of them cinemas and I think like live theaters will open again I hope but uh, restaurants right now gyms yeah I really feel sorry for the the small businesses I think that's that breaks my heart hard to even think about people losing their businesses so I don't know I know a few people in Germany who might if things don't open soon just because they're their business won't survive and it's years of somebody's life where building something and doing everything Um, right, making sacrifices and then... Anything that I need to buy, I've been trying to buy direct from small businesses as opposed to big evil empires that rhyme with... Amazon? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, because just, you know, if they can get all of the profit, all the better, so... Like the small businesses, yeah. Yeah. That's a noble thing to do. Yeah, and if we all did it, I think it would... It would help. I know it's hard to give up the convenience of the other, but you know, small businesses are really what I my heart breaks for them right now. Mm-hmm. Well, Jeff Bezos doesn't need your money, but the small businesses do. No, Jeff Bezos could share some money with those small businesses. How about that? <laughs>
yeah. Well, I hope that things open in time that not so many people um, have to start over. It's tough. I don't know what the solution is, which is why I'm an actor and not a president, but <laughs> yeah. I don't know what, what the best thing is. I don't know either. My father had COVID. He's fine. He got over it, although he still has, still treating the COVID toes. Wow. I do think on the one hand, they're overreacting and they're putting in sanctions that are killing economies and businesses that are going to have repercussions beyond what the virus can do. But I also see what happened to my father and, you know, he's okay, but I know people who've lost their parents. So I kind of say it's, it's a tricky situation. Yeah, it is. There's I'm glad he's okay. Yeah, me too. Yeah. yeah, wow. Well, I'm going to let you go prepare this next snack for your baby. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. You probably need to eat that cupcake. No, well. Growing a cup size here. <laughs> well, I'm sure. I'm sure your husband doesn't mind that part of the. the yeah, but you know that's the sad part. Is it's like hands off because you know when you're feeding, you're a little bit like <laughs> it's uncomfortable and blah, blah, blah. It's like doing the sex scenes. It's not sexy. You're like yeah, milk and kind of like, you know, a bit sore, and yeah, poor Anthony. Look, look, but don't touch, just kind of what's oh, going on. Sweetie, don't listen to that. <laughs> <laughs> he'll, he'll enjoy Some it. things you have to find out when you experience them. You don't want to ruin the surprise. <laughs> yeah, right, right, right. No, okay, I won't say anything else. I'm just teasing you. The beauty of childbirth and everything that it brings. Exactly. <laughs> Easy to be a parent, I <laughs> know. Super easy. I'm super awake right now. Yeah. <laughs> well, thank you so much for your time, Amy. Yeah, you're so fun and dynamic and you're charismatic. You're hilarious, by the way. Like, oh. yeah, you, you really have a great sense of humor. I like that you take your work seriously, but you don't take yourself too seriously. I think that's a yeah. very combination. So. Yeah. Yeah, that, you know, that's just probably good parenting. I had really, really good parents who were good sense of humor and taught me a lot about just sort of taking it easy when it came to, when it comes to being too stressed out about stuff. You're good people. It gives me hope to talk to somebody like you who's, um, you don't take things too seriously, but you do on the other hand. And you're also like what we talked about with what's happening in the world, that you're also reflecting on things and... It's a scary time, so. Yeah, yeah. Hopefully everyone's doing a lot of that soul-searching. We have the time for it, don't we? So. <laughs> it's true. Thank you so much. Enjoy the evening with your baby and your husband and with your twins. Oh, thanks. Thanks, you too. Yeah. And, um, I'll reach out to you whenever I'm pregnant because I want to do something very similar to what you've done. Yeah, yeah, please do. No, seriously. Yeah. Anything, anything you want to know. All, I won't spare all the gory details. Like you said, it's important for women to know there are other options. Oh, yeah. Because the better informed you are, the more secure you're going to be. Even if you decide to go, you know, the full whammy in the hospital without giving me all the drugs or whatever, Mm -hmm. As long as you have made that choice out of 
being presented with all the options and you know what you're choosing and you know why you're choosing it. Cool. You know, do what you want. That's true. Mm -hmm. Anyway, you have been a delight. Thank you for contacting me. Oh, thank you for talking to me. If you ever come to Berlin when, when this ends, please, please let me know. I will. I love Berlin. Yeah. It's so yeah. Nice. Yeah. I love it. It's great. Beautiful city. Yeah, it is. Okay. Well, sleep well and I'll speak to you soon, Amy. Okay. Bye. Take care. Good night.